Mike, thank you for joining me and doing this video about the association. How are you doing? Doing well, Jerry. Good to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. And Mike, you're licensed in Arizona and Utah, correct? Correct. Yeah, my office is in Southern Utah and I practice law in the state of Utah and Arizona. And thank you for all of your help with the association. It's been a big undertaking. Uh, I'm amazed at just how much work there is to do to like get this off the ground and formed and everything right and bylaws and all the different things. So I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the structure. Um, I had made a mistake and I had made a mistake and said that the Wholesaler Association that we've set up is a 501c3 and uh, it's actually a 501c6. So Mike, can you help uh, help me understand and everybody that's watching this kind of what 501c and then there's different ones and why is a trade organization which we set up, why is a six like the best thing for that? Yeah. So to get to that point, we have to go back a little bit and, and talk a little bit of the foundational stuff. Uh, corporations are creatures of state law. And so before we even get to a tax status, we have to talk about how we organize it under the, the state. And as a part of that, too, we talk about the purpose. What's the purpose of the entity that we're setting up? And in this situation, the first dialogue goes something like, well, what are we trying to accomplish? Well, you're trying to do something that's for the betterment of the industry. And we distinguish nonprofit corporations from for-profit corporations, where for-profit corporations have shareholders. And in a for-profit, they're trying to give money through to the shareholder. Well, in a nonprofit corporation, that's not the case. There's not an owner's dividend that goes through to a shareholder. In this situation, we would set up and have a membership base. And so... Um, it, it kind of goes to an economic theory, even uh, just like even with fireworks and how we talk about that in economics, that that there's you don't charge admission for a fireworks show and there's no way to capitalize and make money off of that. And so in the same situation for a trade organization, there's no real way for it, one person or a shareholder to make money. And it, it's because it's for the betterment of the industry. You do it as a nonprofit corporation because there's not a shareholder that's going to have a dominant stake. And so we start by talking about the nonprofit corporation, and that's organized under the state, the state law first. And then from there, we look at a tax exemption, and that's where the 501c6 comes into play or a 501c3. And that's from the IRS's standpoint of how they want to tax these types of entities. Now, 501c3 is probably the most commonly well-known type of an entity um, because people see that in the news. They, they, they talk about it. And it's there for a charitable charities purpose. And churches, right? It's for charities and Correct. churches, so it's common. Yeah. Correct. And so you're looking out for what's the in the betterment of society. And that's why the IRS would say that a 501c3 has a tax exemption for the corporate entity, the nonprofit itself. It's not generating corporate taxes, but also the people who are donating, making contributions can take a tax deduction as a charitable contribution. So in a trade organization, because the trade organization is not working for the public benefit, it's working for the benefit of its purpose, they're, they're, it's still considered tax exempt in terms of what the corporation generates, in terms of advertising or revenue, all of those things, but it's not, a, it's not tax exempt for a charitable purpose. So by way of example, a member within, the, uh, the, within this nonprofit their membership dues could be tax deductible. And again, this isn't legal advice to any one person. We're talking in general terms. 
but but the the membership dues can be tax deductible as a business expense if you are advancing your business purpose. But if you were to of your own your own choice make a five ten thousand dollar donation, that would not be a charitable contribution for your taxes. And so the membership dues are a business expense potentially, but you can't make charitable contributions. So it's distinguished from a 501c3 in that capacity um, and a 501c6 in that in that it's for the the benefit of the entity. And just by way of example, I went and looked at some of the main ones this morning. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is a 501c6. The National Association of Realtors is a 501c6. The American Dental Association is a 501c6. And so- you will see these entities in the news. You'll see that they're out there. They're advocating for the purpose of that entity, but people who make contributions, it's not tax deductible, but unless you're a member, then those dues can be tax deductible based upon your individual situation. So um, that's the reason for doing a 501c6. um, So to have that special tax treatment with the IRS. Now with that, there comes some, some drawbacks. There's an, there's a publicity, Publicity about the 501c6, meaning that these nonprofit entities, they have uh, filing requirements and those filings become public. And so you can go and you can look at what revenue is being made, what the directors are being paid and other certain transactions. So it's, you know, in a, in a regular closely held for-profit corporation, um, that information is not generally made public unless it's a publicly traded company, which is not the case usually in a startup. So uh, there's a privacy saying, component. As well. So you're saying like every, publicly it would be disclosed what any employees that are working in the organization, how much they're being compensated. That's public information. Generally speaking, it depends on who those people are. There's certain reporting requirements. But in this yeah. situation, for example, I would expect a president or a CEO to have that information be made public. And also yeah. that compensation rate would be set by the board of directors and the board of directors are elected by the membership. And so I could become a member. And if I support the National uh, Real Estate Wholesale Association, and I think it's a good thing, I become a member, I pay my membership dues, then I have a vote as to who goes on to the board of directors. The board of directors would then set a compensation rate for the president or the CEO. Now the president and CEO, will also be on the board of directors, but they're a non-voting member, right? They're just there to help with organizing and running the corporation um, and to help the board of directors with their business. So um, members will be able to see what the bylaws are. They will be able to see those things. They will be able to know what their rights are in terms of voting, and they will be able to elect and have people nominated to become a part of the board of directors. And they can even nominate themselves and, and try to become a part of the board of directors to have a say in what's happening. Um, and I envision with this particular organization to have a couple other committees and other executive entities that are set up to help with the day-to-day management. Uh, so, I mean, outside of do we pay this invoice or do we pay the bank or do we pay this, those things aren't generally held a vote on, but big, more substantial things like um, the direction of the organization, payment best practices, best practices. Um, also, I envision having a conflict of interest policy. For example, if a board member, uh, a member of the board of directors, has their own entity, and they want to run marketing or advertising through the national association, 
there's a conflict of interest policy that would say that person who has a direct connection is not allowed to vote on whether that that program is brought on to be used within the entity. So um, there are some checks and balances that I envision putting into this. Um, It's sort of in the beginning phases. And so I envision that we will also have modification down the road. Uh, But that's generally the structure thinking about, because again, the purpose here is not to line any one person's pocket. The purpose here is to advocate for the interest of the organization uh, and representing wholesalers across the, the nation and not looking out for any one person. That doesn't mean that people won't make money, but the board of directors uh, salary will be voted upon and will be based upon available revenue. Um, because as people know, you're more likely to want to participate as a board member or do things if there's a chance for some compensation. Um, yeah, at least for your time. And and you could, you could not take a salary and serve in a position if you chose to, correct? Right. Yeah, right. which is what I've, which I haven't told you, Mike, but what I've done is I've said, look, to show that I'm not trying to do this to make money, I'm willing to not take a salary for any service I provide to the organization. Yeah, as a way to and kind of show that. Again, it does take it does take several key individuals who are interested and committed to the common purpose to get something like this up and off of the ground. Yeah, because it's not for any one person's benefit. And by doing a nonprofit corporation, um, that you're opening yourself up to scrutiny. You're opening yourself up to other people coming on board, other opening up generally as a member. And um, I believe it to be for the best interest of the association and for the purposes of wholesaling, as opposed to one person's individual interest. And the IRS, you know, they take that tax exemption very serious, right? Like, you know, you you can't avoid paying tax and then be doing things that would violate the rules with being a tax-exempt nonprofit. Correct. And so having good corporate meeting minutes, having a legal counsel, having a good CPA, um, keeping good financial records, all of those things become very important. Um, there may not be the same level of scrutiny for a 501c6 as a 501c3, just because we're not dealing with the charitable aspect. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't mean that it won't escape uh, public scrutiny and, and the membership and people being involved. So. And Mike, how is how are decisions made as to how to to spend funds in the best interest of the organization? Let's say that two hundred fifty thousand people join; they all pay an annual dues of two hundred fifty dollars, and there's sixty two million dollars now available for the trade organization. And then, and now we've got like, okay, how do we tackle the world in our best interest? How yeah. are those decisions made? Yeah. So, generally speaking, the board of directors is going to give direction and purpose to the corporate officers. So the board of directors may not be involved in the day-to-day, the minutia, but they're going to uh, allow for or give direction to those corporate officers to say, here's the mission that we envision you doing. Now go out and go do this, right? Yeah. And then the, the president or CEO and the corporate officers are held accountable to the board because their position is something that has been assigned by the board. And so there's there's a check and balance between the board. The board of directors is looking out for the purpose and mission, and it also is representative of the membership. The same is yeah. true in a in a publicly traded corporation, where the board of directors is looking out, in essence, for the shareholders trying to increase a dividend to the owners. Um, and in this situation, uh, we're doing something similar that the board of directors is looking out for the membership and then giving direction to the corporate officers. And, um, you know, a board of directors could spend the time looking at day-to-day affairs, but generally they would be looking at um, 
financial statements that are being prepared from the company. Um, for example, we think that the company should or the corporation should go work on this type of lobbying or this type. Let's say there's something in Philadelphia that needs attention. We want to go start doing advertising here. And then they would give that direction to the corporate officers and the corporate officers would take and run with that and, and operate in the day to day. If there was something special, these types of organizations have the ability to create a, a committee and the committee can go in and tackle a particular issue. So let's say that the board of directors recognizes we need to advertise in a particular area, but we don't really know all the ins and outs about this area. So they would create a special committee, could bring people on and say, will you help with us as a committee member and go tackle this particular problem and come back and give us advice. And then they would, the board of directors would vote on that and give direction to the corporate officers. Okay. So what about, for example, this, uh, Mike, um, I haven't verified this. I, I don't know where it's at, but there's, there's, it, it was brought to my attention that in the state of South Carolina, the real estate commission is proposing a bill in essence, that would do what some of these other states have done, which is considering the assignment of contract to be brokering and require a license. So let's say that that legislation is going to be in um, whenever, six months from now this year. What, mm -hmm. could the, what, could, what could we do as a trade group if we had funds, right? But let's say we were off the ground. What could we do knowing that there's a bill being proposed that we feel is against our best interest as an industry? Correct. So there may be some state law specific areas in South Carolina that are at play about lobbying. And I don't know what those are that would take a little bit okay. of just review. Um, yeah. But let's say that that all of the state law specific areas were, were accomplished. Um, then the organization based upon federal law in terms of what the IRS allows should be able to go and advocate for the best interests of the membership base and to propose alternatives, conduct lobbying. And lobbying is not just lining the pocket of politicians. It can it takes a lot of a lot of different forms. It could be advertising. It could be creating petitions. And so there may be state law specific areas about uh, restrictions for uh, actually interacting with legislators. Uh, but it but it may allow for a social media campaign. It may allow for a social media petition, uh, things of that nature. And so uh, the organization could uh, gear up and and put together the marketing engine that goes and creates a social media that says, call your legislator today and say that I, I don't support this. This is attacking jobs within America. We think that this is a monopoly. Uh, we, don't, we don't think that the government should be involved in the free trade of business, et cetera. And, and so those types of entity, those types of operations should be allowed. And again, that's where a committee would come into play. And so um, legal counsel like me, I would say, hey, we need to look at, uh, South Carolina state specific law, we could retain legal counsel within South Carolina to advise on those specific issues and to act as corporate and local counsel on those issues. That's generally the job of general counsel is to reach out and say, we, we need something specific to this area. They would then advise, would get set up everything running correctly. They would act as a local point of contact and then go, go run with that and advise on what is allowed within that state. So yeah. Again, there's a lot of minutia there, but but generally, yes, I, I fully expect that the um, <clears throat> that the entity should be able to lobby for its interest in in state yeah. legislatures and and to have that type of a, a presence across the nation. That's awesome. And one of the things that uh, you know I've been looking at as far as like what can the trade group provide 
one of the challenges with real estate is it's governed state by state. So you've got all 50 states, they have their own real estate division. And as far as wholesaling in general, I think there's some there's some great general best practices, but then also every single wholesaler transacting needs to really understand what are the exact laws in their state with what they can and can't do, and then really do a great job or a better job of bringing that awareness to people. So if you're in Iowa, what exactly can you do and can't you do around the assignment, right? Because that's what's under, that's what's in scrutiny. And, and how do you make sure you understand what you can and can't do? And then how do we, how do we as a trade group make sure that we're constantly abreast of, of what those laws are? Because as they change, you know, we need to be aware of those changes like, like it's happening right now. And so just that, that awareness, helping everybody understand the right way to transact as a wholesaler, how to do this in a way that's going to elevate our, our perception in the market right now, which is very negative. You know, there's a lot of things that could be done that would really help this, the, the industry, you know, right, raise the bar and go to a whole new level. I mean, do you agree that the, that's some, some of the things that this could do? Yeah. So obviously with attorneys, we're very particular about who we represent. It, it's, it's very important to create the attorney client relationship. But, and, and so I say that because an attorney, you know, maybe would, would probably not want to come on and say, Hey, here, I'm going to represent the state of Iowa and be this person and just give free legal advice. But what I would expect to happen is that attorneys appreciate the opportunity to show their expertise um, and <laughs> act as a local point of contact and go on and do videos to to act as a local counsel, even as a volunteer. And they wouldn't give individual specific counsel, but they may be able to put together a memorandum um, and put their firm letterhead on it and say, hey, for the state of Iowa, um, we are the preeminent wholesaler firm. Please reach out to us with your specific questions. And here's some free resources about uh, state law applies to these things. So, yes, um, I think that having the ability to create uh, key relationships within a state, for example, maybe it's an online marketing company and it's a maybe it's a member benefit kind of a thing where or even it's a, hey, members of the association um, get a discount on marketing services or we have a strategic relationship with this accounting firm, whatever it may be. And so definitely there's member benefit that can be created and have on a state by state basis and trade association, having people get together. Um, I envision even organizing at the at the local level that there could be chapter heads that people get together and they say, hey, we are the Iowa chapter. We talk about Iowa specific issues and we have uh, an attorney, we have an accountant, we have people who are pro bono on the association to help with that. Um, I'm, I've in a side world have helped with the ham radio association and there's local counsel in that in that area as well where people get out and they advocate from a local, a local standpoint as well. So as it grows, then yes, I would envision that those things are available and, and people can organize grassroots wise. And that's probably what it would need to be successful anyway, is a grassroots approach uh, on a state by state basis, and then bring the national association to bear um, as it's needed. Okay, great. And Mike, going back uh, again to leadership, the way that we've set up this uh, entity is there's there's the board of directors and there's nine correct. Um, I believe I have it set as is a minimum of three um, up to eight. So a minimum of three up to eight because it's going to take okay. some time uh, to fill those positions and so yeah. 
Um, where possible, I like to have an odd number so that we can have a breaking, uh, you know, a, a vote to break a tie. Um, okay. But, you know, we'll start with at least three. We can work up to eight or nine. That number can be uh, can be bigger. Then from there, we also have an advisory committee that I have up to 20 people, the advisory committee. And again, this is this is just um, initial type discussion. Um, an advisory committee can be people who are very interested in the industry um, and they want to support and they want to act in, in a advisory capacity, but they don't want to have the obligations of being a member of the board of directors. And so they may be able to say, hey, on their YouTube channel, I'm an, I'm an advisory member. It's sort of an executive member to this committee. I support them. I get together twice a year. I try to give them some ideas, but it's a non-voting type committee, but it's there to give some direction and to give some rah-rah, you know, here, let's move the company this way. That That's an option that if people are interested, a board of directors is going to have more obligation and it's a commitment and it's easy to armchair commando and say, oh, we should be doing this. But it takes a little bit more for people to get together and say, I'm actually going to be on the board and take on that responsibility and give yeah. direction. So there's different ways that people can become in, involved um, down the road once everything's set up and finalized. And again, that board of directors. So, so I've reached out to some people that are influencers, very, very committed to this cause of of trying to organize and, and create a trade group. How again are our board members and advisors and how again is everybody decided who gets those roles? Yeah. So initially it's going to be based upon who the members are um, and the members will hold a vote um, at the beginning for the first year. It was, it's likely that we will probably just appoint the board for the first year, even set it as a temporary board until there's enough members to hold a vote and, and unless there's enough members to hold a vote to start with, uh, generally speaking, we start with an incorporator is is the person who has filed uh, with the state to get things up and rolling. And then we'll have an initial organizational meeting. And, and if there was a concern about, hey, that being more than a year, we could set it at six months. Um, yeah. But we just need enough of a membership base to um, actually decide who the board of directors uh, members okay. should be. But really, it's going to be anybody who puts their their name in the hat to start with is likely yeah. the scenario from the beginning. Yeah. So in the beginning, it might be appointed, but then once it's off the ground, there's a there's a general membership. Then that next go around will be a vote from the members as to who Correct. serves those capacities. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else about the this organization that would be helpful for somebody who's kind of new to this idea of a trade group and and why we're doing this? Any other thoughts that might be helpful? I would just say in, in summation that um, the thing that's, I think, a benefit <clears throat> to remember is that if if the if the purpose of this entity were to line the pockets of the owners, we would have set this up as a corporation. And the, um, the nonprofit corporation is really important because it, and that's why we do the tax, that's why I believe the IRS does the tax exemption is that it allows people to focus on something that's for the betterment of the organization and its common purpose. Because if you didn't have that, um, again, it's very hard for people to do things that aren't in their direct interest. I mean, that's, you know, economics 101, the self-interested yeah. person. So um, it, um, it it's helpful to advance the purpose of the association. And, and that's what's critical here is there's not shareholders there's not somebody taking a dividend. It doesn't mean that there's not compensation, but that compensation will be set by a board of directors. So there's transparency, there's just disclosure. 
And it really provides an opportunity on a equal footing or an equal base for everybody to be able to come in and participate and have some type of a voice um, to advance this, this, uh, the common purpose of wholesaling. Thank you. I, I'm really appreciate you saying that because uh, there has been some concern and rightfully so, you know, I have a for-profit business and is there self-interest? Is there a way for me to benefit financially from this? And that creates some fear and some reluctancy of people maybe getting involved. So to really kind of establish that that's not how this entity is set up, it's not allowed, it's not permitted. The, the tax exemption doesn't, doesn't permit that. And all the things you explained is, uh, is very helpful. So thank you for explaining that. In closing, um, tell everybody what kind of law you practice. I'll put your, sure. if, you, if it's okay with you, I'll put your information in the description below this video. If you guys okay. need, uh, need general counsel in, in these areas in both Arizona and or Utah, then uh, you can reach out to Mike. But Mike, what kind of things do you specialize in that people might need help with? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, Jerry. Yeah, as attorneys, we unfortunately don't get to say we specialize in things, but um, my, my practice <laughs> your is- favorite thing to do. <laughs> I like to help people grow their business. That's really my favorite thing. Uh, in the law, you can be productive and, and build things. And in the law, you can also be destructive. Um, having said that, though, I do a lot of what we call transactional work, which is putting together deals, putting together companies. Um, I also do a fair amount of litigation as well. I'm in the courtroom, state and federal um, partnership issues, contract issues where things go sour. But I'm a bit, big advocate of um, a, you know ounce of prevention, gallon of cure uh, kind of uh, legal work. I try to do a lot of stuff on the front end to avoid the litigation. But when things go sour, uh, I like to throw my weight around. And I'm a combat vet. I served in the military for eight years and and uh, know how to throw down and, and get aggressive as needed. But um, I really like to help people uh, build their company and and do something productive. And and uh, the nonprofit stuff great because we're advancing good things for the world. And I like to use the law to build things uh, rather than yeah. just things falling apart. So, but yeah, that's about me. And uh, okay. yeah, thank you, Jerry. Thank appreciate you, you. Yeah. And, and again, thank you, Mike, for all of your work. This has been a ton of work. There's still so much to do where it's in its infancy. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, I really believe in this cause to really help, help the community, help the industry of wholesaling, and so thank you again for all that you've hey, done so far and all your help. Guys, if you have any questions about anything that we talked about, you know, leave a comment and we'll try to address those, those concerns or questions that you have. But thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you.